1973, a 17-year-old from the small town of Livingston in California's San Joaquin Valley joined his cousin in a liquor store robbery. During the crime, actions quickly escalated and tragically, the storekeeper was killed. The 17-year-old was Sam Huddleston. He was tried as an adult and convicted of second-degree manslaughter. His prison sentence was five years to life. Now locked away for an undetermined amount of time, Sam reflected back on his short life, realizing the horrible mistakes he had made and how he had especially let down the man he respected most, his grandfather, who was a sheriff's deputy in his hometown. He recalled something that his grandfather said to him when he was 15. Because when I was 16 years old, he came to my house, told me to change my name and change my character. Mm -hmm. and he says, because it's not your name, it's mine. My mother came home from work. I wasn't living with his son, which is my dad. I told my mom, I need to have my name changed. She says, why? I said, never mind why. I just need to have it changed. <laughs> when he died, when I was incarcerated, and they allowed me to go home to the funeral on the guard escort. And I was, my head was still in a different place. And when I walked past his casket, I stopped and I looked at him. And I just, first time in my life, I ever looked down at my grandfather. He was a great man. And I made a promise to him. I said, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get your name back. I'm going to get your name back. And I went back to the institution, and I didn't know what all that meant. I just didn't know what all that meant. But I knew that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's when God stepped in and gave Sam Huddleston another chance. This is the Another Chance Podcast, Episode 5, Pardoned by God. I'm Brian Sussman. Thanks for joining me. By the way, background notes to this episode can be found on my website, briansussman.com. For at least a moment, to some degree, all of us have been there before. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. We recognize that changes have to be made. Now, it could be something as simple as changing a job or gaining an education, or it could be finally dealing with an addiction. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a family issue. For Sam Huddleston, it was a decision to leave a lifestyle of rebellion that had now wound up with him serving a sentence of five years to life. And on top of that, the victim of his crime had lost their life. A family was now without a husband and a father, and there's nothing that can be done to restore such a loss. So as Sam looked down at his grandfather's casket, he vowed to make a change. But more than fine-tune his behavior and his life, the ultimate change in question involved receiving forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is something we all desire at some point. But sometimes forgiveness is incredibly difficult to receive, especially from a genuinely offended party. For Sam... The path of forgiveness began with first receiving forgiveness from God, as you'll hear. Last month, I had the truly awesome privilege of being invited to a party for Sam being thrown by his delightful wife, Linda. On the card inviting folks to the party, there were two words that really struck me. Pardon me. The party was being held to acknowledge the fact that Sam had been pardoned by the governor of California for the crime that he committed all those many years ago. And while that is a big deal, as you'll discover, 
it's just one hallmark to an incredibly inspirational journey. This pardon is just a confirmation of the transformation that took place the day on that prison yard when he surrendered his life to Christ. This is Linda Huddleston at the party. God has already elevated him in so many ways. God has said throughout Sam's life, you are forgiven, you are pardoned. Yes, God is not finished with him yet. Friends, before we get too far into this, may I just stop and remind you right now that God isn't finished with you yet either? I don't care where you are spiritually. The purpose of this podcast series is to gently remind you and everyone listening that God is willing and able to grant anyone another chance. So let's go back into Sam's life. I'm reading from his biography. It's entitled Five Years to Life. Sam's parents split up when he was in grade school. And when he hit his teenage years, his life really took a turn. His newfound taste for beer turned to hard alcohol. Cigarettes led to marijuana, which led to uppers and downers and LSD. Petty crimes became commonplace in Sam's life as he continued to run with a rough crowd. But all the while, there was a constant figure of love in his life, and that was his dad, a hardworking man who was a leader in his church. When Sam made the decision to leave Livingston and live with his mom in Southern California, he left his dad a note that read, I'm running away. You won't find me. I know you don't love me. You never did. Don't try find me, the letter continues. You won't. Besides, I'd rather go to Juvenile Hall than live in your house anymore. Later, old man. That night, Sam celebrated his liberation by getting drunk and passing out. A short time later, Sam did come back home, but only to retrieve his belongings. His dad confronted him head on when he arrived, saying, I'm sorry you didn't think there was enough love to keep you here. I know we have house rules that you have to obey, but rules are everywhere, Sam. In the meantime, I feel sorry for you. You've got a long, hard row to hoe unless you surrender your life to Jesus soon. There was silence as the two looked at each other eye to eye, but Sam was determined to leave. Very well, his dad said, you've made your decision, but always remember this, you're always welcome home. If you're somewhere and haven't got the money to come home, call and I'll come get you. You may not live with me, he paused, but you're still my son. I love you now and always will. Those words echoed in Sam's mind, he writes, during the entire ride south with his mom and her new husband. Life with his mother proved miserable. Sam tried to escape reality by using more drugs. He began getting into regular fist fights with his mother's husband. He'd already been in police custody several times for minor offenses. And just as his father predicted, Sam was hoeing a long, hard row. Once, while in juvenile hall for, shall we just say, an extended stay, in order to just get out of his room and walk around, Sam decided he would attend a weekly Bible study. During one particular session, he was actually awarded a brand new Bible, which he eventually wrapped up and gave to his dad as a birthday gift after his release from the juvenile hall. 
Oh, boy, Sammy, a Bible, his dad said, and it's a nice one. I'm going to save it. Save it for what, Sam asked. For you. For me? Yes, Sammy, he stated, because one day you're going to preach out of this very Bible. That was when Sam was 15. The next year, Sam's son Andre was born. For the sake of Andre, Sam vowed to get his life together but was unable to do so. And that's when his grandfather, the lawman, told Sam to either change his last name or his character. Then the following year, as a 17-year-old, Sam was involved in the robbery of a liquor store with his cousin Shep. The robbery went south quickly, and the store's owner was left bleeding from a knife wound. He didn't survive. Sam was picked up by the police later that night and charged with murder. Now behind bars for a very serious offense, in no time, he had a visitor, his dad. They were talking on one of those hard-wired telephone systems, looking through a thick pane of glass, when his father said, Sammy, we're in trouble. And I don't know what we're going to do. We're just praying and trusting that Jesus will work it out for you. Sam writes in his book, I kept hearing those words. We're in trouble. We, Daddy and I, the family and I. Sam realized he wasn't alone. No matter how much he turned his back on everything his dad stood for, his dad was there for him. Sam's dad also had a gift for his son. It was the Bible that Sam gave to his dad two years earlier. Sam was soon tried. He was convicted and sentenced. And as far as the state of California was concerned, his name had been changed. He was no longer Huddleston. He was B36718. Sadly, Sam's grandfather died when Sam was incarcerated. And as you heard, Sam was allowed to attend the funeral. He left the service knowing he had to make some changes, but God still wasn't on Sam's to-do list. But nevertheless, Sam was on God's to-do list. It was Easter 1973. Sam was in the weight room bench pressing, and he picked up the story for us at the party. But on Easter of 1973, I'm out on the weight pound, I got 300 pounds on the weight, on the, on the bars. I'm getting ready to push 300 pounds. And he comes over and says, I told my aunt that I was going to go to church for Easter. I said, that's good. You should go to church. And he says, yeah, but I want you to go. I said, no, you don't understand. Me and God ain't got nothing in common. I don't go to church. And I, I probably said some colorful things, but he says, yeah, but I told my aunt I was going to church. I said, Joe, you need to go to church and leave me alone. He said, but I want you to go. I said, I ain't going to nobody's church, man. And then he stepped up and put his hand on the bar so I couldn't push the weight. And I looked up at him like, you lost your mind, man. What's wrong with you? I said, I'm not going to church. And finally, it just tickled me that he was so adamant about me going to church. And finally, I said, okay, I'll go with you. And I said, but let me go to the dormitory and take a shower first. And he goes, no, you're okay. You go just like you are. And I went to, to chapel with Joe. And I remember sitting in chapel and looked around. I thought, you know, I think, I'll, I think I'll start coming to chapel because uh, it'll do my dad well. To, I don't, it'll help him to realize I'm not all that much of I'm not just a total heathen. And before the next Sunday came around, I turned my life. 
to Jesus. So Sam finally had taken the big step forward. Nonetheless, Sam writes, he continued to blame others for his mistakes. And then one night, in desperation, Sam called out to God. And he received a clear answer back. God spoke to his heart and said, When are you going to take charge of your life, Sam? God, Sam responded, If you'll help me, I'm going to be different. Sam attended the next Christian gathering with a new sense of excitement. My life just began, I began to read and study the Word of God. And then Pastor Bob, he, he became one of the Bible study leaders. And the other gentleman sitting to his right, why don't you wave your hand? This is Lou Williams. Lou Williams was a sergeant at the institution. He used to literally count me. And, and then Ken Adams here was just, he is the sweetest man. I mean, I didn't understand. I remember when I first found out that they were both Christian, I remember saying, God, you must be getting hard up, man. You're saving guards. I didn't realize how hard it was saving inmates, but I mean, you know, a different story. <laughs> so God was so hard up for converts that he was saving prison guards. <laughs> the, the other person that Sam mentioned was Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob was at the pardon party, and I was able to sit down with him, and he told me what he recalled about the time when Sam received that another chance from God. But Sam was sitting there on that back view, boy, muscular bound, looking defiant. But once I asked, do you want prayer? Of course, really, it was the rule that I couldn't touch any of the prisoners. But when he said he needed a hug, that's just second nature, you know, to give people hugs. He was a, a very intelligent young man. After I taught, and I taught every Tuesday night, he began to write me letters. And then I could really realize just how wise, and he could speak, if he could speak as well as he wrote. So I had Louis ask the superintendent there if he could come Sunday night and talk to our church. And that started him being brought in to speak at the various churches in Sonora and other places. You know, it seems amazing, but Sam's conversion was obviously so real and genuine to Bob, the guy you just heard, who was the volunteer pastor, that he was able to convince the prison staff that they should allow Sam to leave the facility to speak at churches to tell others about their need for God's forgiveness. But the state parole board didn't see it that way. After 42 months of incarceration, Sam found himself seated before that board. It didn't go well. He was accused of being a fraud, a sort of jailhouse religion phony. An offended board member actually told him, oh, I know your type, Huddleston. You get religion and try to fool everyone into thinking you're a reformed character. You were involved in killing a man, and you're not even sorry. Get out of here. So despite the parole board's rejection of Sam's faith, his fellow Christian inmates considered him to be their pastor. One of those men, Rick, 
lived with Sam while incarcerated in 1975 and 76, and much like Sam, came to the Lord for forgiveness after going down a very, very dark road himself. He was at Sam's gathering, having traveled to California from Alabama. We committed a home invasion of a heroin dealer, and um, it was a, just a, a two days before Christmas, and the guy that had set the dealer up told us it would only be the, the, par, you know, the guy and his wife at home. The kids were gone, but when we it came into the house, there were three young girls in there, and um, nobody got hurt or anything, but it got a little ugly. But uh, the guy never called the police on us or anything like that. Or I mean, he didn't know who we were, but the whole experience just made me sick to what I'd become. Isn't that interesting? We just heard Rick say he was sick of what he had become. Earlier, you heard Sam say that he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oftentimes, we just need to get to that place where we're sick of ourselves and our sin and what we've become and what we are before God can finally step in and make the changes. So Rick was so convicted of his wayward lifestyle that he finally did surrender his life to the Lord prior to surrendering himself to law enforcement for a myriad of other crimes. I plea bargained uh, 10 counts of robbery and 10 gun allegations to one single count of robbery. And uh, I took the five to life they gave me. Once behind bars, he was eventually transferred to the same facility as Sam. But when I got there, I started looking for Christians immediately, which wasn't hard to find. And Sam was just about to begin to be the leader of the Christian fellowship there because the guy that had been was paroling. So Sam and I just became fast friends and um, he was my pastor in prison. What's also interesting about what Rick just said, prisons have always been amongst the most segregated institutions in America. And yet here we had a white man, Rick, living with a black man, Sam. I asked Rick about that. Uh, amongst the general population of the prison, how common was it for whites and blacks to be together, to do things together, completely uncommon. Yeah, so, but because you guys were Christians, somehow you were able to get away with this. There was another uh, brother, his name was uh, Bob, and Bob was from Sacramento, and uh, Bob had been in a, a, a well-known motorcycle club before he got saved. So Bob and Sam and I kind of hung together. So the bikers were on him, the Nazis were on me, and the black radicals were on Sam. <laughs> but, you know, we hung together and, you know, it's, you'll get a certain amount of respect in prison if you're following the Lord and you don't half step. <laughs> half step and you're gonna get punked. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be so brutally honest, but you, you, it's all over for you. If, if they find out you're just using that as a, a cover to be protected. And this has always been one of the hallmarks of Sam's life, reconciling races. In February, 1976, 
12 months after the last hearing before the parole board, Sam found himself once again before the board. However, this time, there were different members. It appears as if you've done extremely well these past few years, one of the new board members said. I've tried, sir, Sam replied. I hope you don't take this wrong, but I hate this place. The member said, I just hope when you get out, you'll continue hating it. Most of you don't. Eight out of ten come back. Another member piped up saying, Remember your sentence. Five to life. Next time, we'll keep you till you die. You'll get your results in the mail. Sam was released on parole April 9, 1976. After leaving prison, Sam made an effort to tell everyone he had hurt and everyone he offended that he was sorry, including the man whose life was lost, as he explained to me over the phone. And I began to realize my, I, 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 I sinned against the whole community. I sinned against my whole family. I sinned against girls. And, uh, you know, it was, it was something. And, and what I realized now is I wouldn't be where I'm at had I not done that. But see, I, I, I have no secrets, man. I've repented to everybody I can think of that I have wounded, that's alive. And I even visited the man's grave twice and just wept, just wept. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Just me by myself. Nobody went with me. It was something I needed to do. It's been a journey, man, of the power of forgiveness. Not just for me, but for others. And I didn't really do it for them. I just knew that I had this thing inside of me that said I had to do it. And so out of obedience, I just, I, and I, would, I didn't do it begrudgingly. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. Because the older I got, the more I realized, how can anybody cause this much pain to people? Man. Shortly after regaining his freedom, Sam met Linda. She was recently divorced with two young children. And five months later, they were married. While conversing at the party, I asked Linda about how her friends and family reacted when she told them she was going to be marrying Sam. Oh, they were livid. My, my, my aunties were, were afraid for my kids because I'm marrying somebody out of prison. And um, they were very cautious whenever my kids would go over there. They would lecture them to make sure that, you know, everything was okay. And um, it didn't take very long before they found out who Sam really was, who is a Sam, the same Sam that has been granted this pardon. And um, yeah, and then that suspicion turned into genuine love, and they, they loved him. One day, Erica was tired. And she was with my auntie, and she went and climbed up into Sam's lap for, you know, so she could go to sleep, and they knew then that he was their dad. Sam summed it up like this. But I just, I just wanted a family. I wanted to try to, I wanted to try to do with the woman what my dad and, and mom had tried, and wasn't that successful. I just... I wanted to take care of someone. 
So Sam, you get married, you have Royce and Erica, you get custody of Andre, you go to Bible college in Santa Cruz, California. How did that part of it come about? There was a guy that used to come on the radio representing the Assemblies of God called C.M. Ward. And every Sunday night after I got, became a Christian, I, I'd sit on the, on, the, on the prison yard and listen to him preach. And then when I got out, you know, Linda was encouraged me. These people said, you ought to go check this school out. What I didn't know is that they were on the board of the college. So I got over there, and the guy whose voice was on the radio every Sunday night was the president. And I didn't know who he was. All I knew his name was C.M. Ward. So they introduced the president, Charles Morris Ward. And when he came up and opened his mouth, I hunched Linda. I said, that's the man. She said, what man? I said, the man on the radio. She said, what are you talking about? I go, shh, be quiet. Don't say another word. And when he got done preaching that day in chapel, I looked at her and said, we're coming to the school. That was that. That's just how it happened. So Sam and his family moved to Santa Cruz, California, on the coast, 80 miles south of San Francisco. And that's where I met him. He was working for my future in-laws doing construction in a large commercial building project that they were involved in. My father-in-law, Bob Rittenhouse, tells the story of how he was approached to see if he might be interested in giving this guy named Sam a job while Sam was attending Bible college. Jack Cowles, he was instrumental in leading me to the Lord. And I get a call from him, and he says he had a young man who's looking for a job, was moving to Santa Cruz, and did we have anything that we could help him with? And I said, yes, I think we can. And he said, "Uh, by the way, I should tell you that uh, he's just got out of jail. And I said, well, if you recommend him, Jack, of course, yes. And he says, well, I should uh, tell you that, uh, and that is that he's black. If you say he's okay, I guess that's fine. And then he said, well, there's one other thing. He was in for murder. And I said, uh, Jack, you're pushing it just a little bit here, but you've got me saying yes all the way to all these. Like, guess I can't say no now. Yes, sure, send him over. So he came over, met my wife, who was in charge of the project, actually, and she put him to work, and it turned out to be a very blessing thing as we grew to love him. And he seemed like us, and uh, I think he he did more for us than we ever did for him, because he was always cheerful, uh, always seemed to be happy, and and to see what he's done in his career since he got out of jail is absolutely amazing. Did he ever tell you that one time I borrowed two hundred dollars from him? No. <laughs> and then I and I said I'll give it back to you such such a day. Well, I gave it back to him. And when I gave it back to him, he said, I'll be right back. I said, where are you going? Because I'm going to go give it to the, to the lady in the finance. Because she said, you weren't going to pay it back. I said, why would she say that? She doesn't even know me. She said, yeah, but I, I gave some money to another guy one time. And Pilot was black. He never gave it back. Had been in some trouble. And she just threw you in the box with him. But uh, I still, it was hard for me to believe that the man with that kind of influence just believed in me, gave me an opportunity, gave me a chance. Mm-hmm. And that, that too, made me, whenever somebody gave me a chance, it made me want to do right. 
After graduating from college, Sam was appointed as the executive director of a statewide nonprofit organization under the auspices of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. It was a program that matched adult inmates and wards of the court with outside volunteer visitors. Sam remains the only former prisoner to ever lead a California Department of Corrections program. For his work, he was honored by then-President Ronald Reagan. He and Linda went on to found a successful church in the Bay Area and then was elected by his denomination, the Assemblies of God, to become Assistant Superintendent of the Northern California and Nevada District, a position which he continues to serve. Sam has also attained a master's degree and even a doctorate from Regent University in Virginia Beach, Virginia. It was for all this wonderful success that I wanted to do an Another Chance podcast on Sam's incredible journey. I actually began producing this episode last fall. After my initial interview with Sam, he called me wondering if I knew California's Governor Jerry Brown. I explained that while I'd met him a few times over the years, he'd been on my radio program in San Francisco a few times, I met him back when I was in TV, I didn't really know him on a personal level, just professional, so I asked Sam why. Sam was hoping to get a state pardon. Other friends had written to the governor, encouraging him to pardon the man formerly known as B36718, and he asked me to do the same. And then I remembered my friend Maurice. Maurice is a charming older gentleman who I get together with for lunch every so often. We met via a mutual acquaintance and just hit it off, especially via our common Jewish heritage. And Maurice knows Jerry Brown very well. I immediately got off the phone with Sam and called Maurice. I asked him if he could possibly contact the governor on my friend's behalf. He responded, no, can't do it but he told me to simply write a letter to the governor and mention his name. So I prayed. I wrote as compelling a letter as possible, mentioned Maurice's name. I mailed the letter on a Friday and on Monday, Sam was contacted by the governor's office and the pardoning process was in motion. Now, was it my letter? Nope. It was the bunch of us, the bunch of us, that believed in God's forgiveness and Sam's repentance. Sam was officially pardoned by the state of California on Christmas Eve. In other words, in the eyes of the state of California, Sam was absolved of guilt for his crime. It was as if the act never occurred. Sam's entire family just happened to be together at a park when Sam got that final call. I spoke to his kids about how the family reacted. First, here's his daughter, Erica. Everybody was together, and for my dad to get that news with his whole family together, I mean, I just feel like it was so orchestrated by God um, that he would get that news that day with everyone around him, and it was just, um, it it was magical. It was. And can you believe that that's the day, I mean, the day that we were taking family pictures, is and it was right after too it was right after at the very end we had just taken the last couple pictures and then um my dad's phone rang and he really hadn't been paying attention to his phone because when he's with his family he doesn't he'll turn his phone off or he'll tell all the kids everybody put your phones away this family time 
and he just happened to answer the phone and and that was the phone call it was it was special oh my gosh so i hadn't put it all together not only were you all together but there was a professional photographer to take family photographs yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah wow. that's why i say it was orchestrated you know the bible talks about our steps being ordered and um you know, I just, I'm so proud of my dad because he made a decision. I'm really proud. I'm proud to be his daughter. And uh, I'm happy that he was finally um, acknowledged for all the work that he has done to rehabilitate his life. Here's Sam's son, Andre, describing that moment in the park. I just, I, I just got like this euphoric, warm feeling. You know, it was really weird. I was just like... He he knew it was it was a possibility, but then when it actually the call came through and he the guy made the announcement, he put him on speaker and he, the guy made the announcement, and it was just like, this really, this really happened in my lifetime. You know, sometimes you hear about people it happening after the person is deceased or you know, but I'm like, this really happened in his lifetime, in my lifetime, and you know, just seeing him go through, you see what he's gone through, but. Never like he's gone through it alone. You know, we've all walked that walk with him. But you know, I just didn't. I just really had in the back of my mind. I guess I didn't really think it was truly going to happen. There was always that little bit of skepticism, a little bit of doubt, and to see it actually come into fruition is just really mind blowing. Then at the party, I spoke to Sam's son, Royce. I mean, you have to understand, I'm. I've been in this thing since day one with dad. I mean, when him getting out of prison, him and my mom getting together and, and them, them getting married and and just seeing all the different, you know, trials and tribulations dad went through and then just to see how God, when I, when I got the news, I knew in my heart that God was still in the miracle working business. Because the hope that has been, that, that he has received, he'll be able to go out and tell that next that next person that 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 that, that inmate yo man if god can do it for me you know he, he can definitely do it for you so it, 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 it's a hope thing that's going on it's just it's about hope and i told my dad i said dad i said listen if you ever get opportunities to speak in front of presidents man kings queens whatever you need to do it because you have so much to offer the world. The world needs to hear the things that God has put in your heart. And so I'm just, you know, the saying, you know, when I grow up, I want to be like, you know, when I grow up, I want to be like my dad. Wow. We had to stop the recording because Royce was just too overcome with emotion. I also spoke with Sam's personal pastor and mentor, the Reverend Donald Green. We're just certainly glad to be here to celebrate this day with Sam, but we also want to, uh, and I thought about this, I said, you know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he signed his pardon with his blood. And the governor just now caught up with that. <laughs> and we're excited, though, about that, that now not only has he been pardoned by his, um, his community and from the, the family, but also by the state. Uh, and by the so we thank God for that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. As the evening began to wrap up, Sam's sister Joyce shared with us a poem. 
My brother, my brother, what a day for you. I know this is truly a dream come true. This wonderful day stands on its own. You've reached one more stepping stone. A pardon from the governor, how huge is that? I can see our grandfather now tipping his hat, saying, Sammy, boy, I'm so proud of you. You made it way beyond what I taught you to do. He would stick out his chest and pat you on the back and say, I'm so glad you got your life on track. You kept the promise you made that day. It meant so much to you. When you set out to do something, by God's grace, that's what you do. Wow, that was so good. And while the poem, the testimony, the stories, the love was all so awesome, certainly one of the top highlights of the evening occurred at the very end in this spontaneous outburst of songs. Huddleston received another chance from a God whose fountain is filled with an ever-flowing abundance of additional chances, and that includes another chance for you. Coming up on the next episode of Another Chance, you'll meet my friends Laura and Mike. Despite being a Christian, Laura's life unraveled before our eyes, leading to divorce, depression, and alcohol addiction. Mike, on the other hand, went from being affiliated with a well-known motorcycle gang and an alcoholic to sobriety and then meeting Laura. And God graciously gave both of them another chance. Look forward to you joining me for that. Background notes on this episode of Another Chance, that's episode number five, are found at briansussman.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Sussman. 